everything else versus Bitcoin essentially gets spent and dies. I want to be able to have reactive security. And I think OpVault is today the most straightforward, easiest to use way to do that. I will not be insulted by a clockmaker. <laughs> Overall, these kind of ways to make the network easier to both build on and interact with, I think is a really big deal. If Bitcoin existed when we started Twitter, we would not have to go down the ad model path. I mean, it's simple as that. Integrating Lightning into a social network is the killer app. Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin.Review podcast, where we explore developments and projects with the people who actually make them happen. The show is supported by Pod 2.0, Sat Streaming, and Coinkite. If you're a new listener, I'm NVK. I run CoinKite, where we've been helping people secure their Bitcoins for over a decade. We make the cold card and fun products like the Block Clock. You can find more information about it on CoinKite.com. Hello, and welcome back to the Bitcoin.Review. On this episode, we are going to explore Libsec P256K1. I have an absolute rock star team here. So why don't I start introducing the panel? Uh, Tim, hello. Hey. You want to tell like a, a very brief uh, what do, what do you do? Yeah. So my name is uh, Tim Tim Ruffing. I uh, I'm a maintainer of the Libsec P library. Um, I do work for Blockstream, um, who pay me to do this, and also who pay me to do research on cryptography and all kinds of aspects related to Bitcoin. Very cool. So a full-time cryptographer, implementer. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Living the dream, sir. Full-stack cryptographer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what I sometimes use. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. We're going to get into it. Uh, Jesse Posner. Hello. Uh, I am Jesse, and I'm an open-source Bitcoin developer. I'm currently working on a implementation of a threshold signing system called Frost in the SECP-ZKP repo. Hello, sir. And uh, Jonas. Hello. Similar to Tim, I work at the Blockstream Research Group. And as he said, we work on the full stack from research papers over to BIP specifications like music, taproot, schnorr signatures, etc. And then we also implement these things in one of our libraries like libsec P256K1 and um, variants thereof. Very cool. Uh, Lloyd. G'day guys, I'm Lloyd. I'm another Bitcoin uh, cryptography enjoyer. I, I have my own uh, little uh, sec P256K1 li library in Rust, in pure Rust, that I try and implement uh, the stuff that Jonas and Tim come up with and other things, yeah. Very cool. Rindell, welcome back. Hey, uh, great to be here. Uh, yeah, I, I work on uh, end user applications, uh, mostly around custody and privacy. I'm kind of downstream of, of all these guys. I, I consume uh, the stuff and I, I work on, um, you know, how do we use various like threshold signature schemes for better and more accessible self-custody tooling and how do we use things like signature adapters to um, do interesting off-chain protocols. And uh, I guess me in this case is just uh, I am a, a Libsec uh, consumer. We we uh, moved to Libsec on cold card and uh, just 
general uh, thankful for having a sane, well-reviewed, well-implemented library. So uh, I, I wanted to, to do this and talk to you guys. So I guess, uh, why don't we start from the beginning here? Why is it so important to have a, let's call it like a, a master or more used uh, crypto library for the Bitcoin primitives? Who wants to take that one? Go for it, Jesse. I mean, for one, if, you're, if, <laughs> if your crypto library fails, it's fairly catastrophic event. Um, it probably has like the most security critical or among the most security critical code paths that are used in Bitcoin. Um, your Bitcoin is only secure as your private keys. And uh, if those leak... Um, you're in trouble. So we really want our cryptography to work and to be well-reviewed and highly scrutinized and battle-tested and all of that stuff. Right. Yeah, I think also like getting cryptography implementations right is really hard. Um, you know, the math is really complicated, but also there's a lot of implementation details that can be really subtle. Um, so, you know, if you use... Uh, some hand-rolled or less reviewed cryptography library, it might get the um, details of the actual underlying algorithm correct, but there might be something where, um, you know, like the, the compiler optimizes away some constant time operation and now you're like leaking bits of your key or bits of your nonce out through some timing or, you know, differential power side channel or something. So, you, you really want to have, um, you know, a relatively small number of commonly used crypto primitives that everybody focuses all of their scrutiny on. And we kind of, um, you know, scare out all of like the, the weird implementation details um, so that, you know, we, we have a high degree of confidence that it's correct and that it's going to operate in an adversarial environment. Would you say that the most industry standards... Uh, is to for most vendors to share the same crypto library and build their business logic on top uh, so that if you have competing vendors using the same library, everybody sort of gains from that? I mean, that's definitely what you hope. Um, <laughs> it doesn't always work out that way. But, you know, like there, there was, um, you know, Tim can probably give the details. Like there was a, a recent uh, LibSecP uh, update that, you know, fixed a potential side channel that was caused by like a GCC optimization, right? So there, there's little things like that, that if you have, you know, some small homespun crypto library that three developers are working on and nobody's looking at, like, you're never going to find stuff like that. Um, you know, the, the cryptography behind Bitcoin is probably the most battle tested, um, you know, I, I'd argue the most battle-tested like ECC library in the world at this point. There's there's a really really big bug bounty out there for finding issues in it, and so having you know lots of people use that library means that everybody benefits from that you know half trillion dollar bug bounty. Yeah, we'll get into the details. Um, so let's just start with a little bit of prehistory here. So who wants to speak to how was ECDSA done before on Bitcoin Core? And why is it that was not sort of like something that other people could use because it was part of Bitcoin Core? 
guys, feel free to jump in, eh? Don't don't be afraid of interrupting and uh, and coming on. I mean, before um, LibSecP, uh, the cryptography side in particular, ECDSA in Bitcoin Core was handled by OpenSSL, and um, that. Uh, was a thing that Satoshi started out with, but it turned out that this approach has quite a few problems. Um, one of the most important one would be that um, OpenSSL was not built for consensus critical applications because these sort of applications did not really exist before Bitcoin, at least not to an extent that Bitcoin introduced. So it could happen that in a like patch release of OpenSSL or minor release, that there's some incompatibilities, which usually might not in normal applications will not really have an effect because uh, this thing would fix some sort of edge case that no one would ever stumble on. But um, as soon as you use these things in Bitcoin, it could happen that uh, there would be a fork, a chain split between uh, users of the newer OpenSSL library and users of the older OpenSSL library. And that was one of the reasons why um, LibSecP was created. And um, I want to push a little bit back on the idea that uh, this is sort of a master library or whatever for the Bitcoin <laughs> ecosystem. I think maybe it's turned out that way, but initially it was just for Bitcoin Core. And this is also why this is such a trusted library because uh, there's a lot of effort, of course, going into uh, review. Yeah, I think at, at the moment it's a bit of both. So we uh, are a sub-project of Bitcoin Core. So our main uh, customer, in a sense, is, is Bitcoin Core itself. But on the other hand, we, we want to target... Um, basically, everybody who can make use of a C library, um, just to because we we think that uh, it, it's a it's a really good library. I also wouldn't call it, uh, I don't know, master or or anything like that. We we believe it's it's high quality, and and that's why we we want people uh, to to use it. But uh, I mean, in, in classic end, Bitcoin, uh, in classic Bitcoin uh, matter, we we don't want to say anything is the standard, the default, or the master per se. But you know, that's us just sort of being Bitcoiners and you guys being humble. But realistically speaking, you know, this this is becoming the Master is, I guess, the wrong word to use because it implies that it must be used, but it is becoming is it is the default library that people should seek to use. Well, we're, it, it's it's a reference implementation, right? And like I, I spent a lot of time working in Rust. I use the Rust bindings for libsecp because I need to interoperate with Bitcoin, and you know if it if it uses the same library as Bitcoin Core, like I I'm probably going to be producing signatures that are going to be validated correctly by Bitcoin Core, right? Like it's it's the reference implementation. Yeah, right. So, and the other reason why um, LibSecP was uh, invented uh, sort of mainly by uh, Peter Weller, Greg Maxwell, and Andrew Polstra was that, um, so OpenSSL is a library that is very flexible and has uh, implementations of various different cryptographic schemes, including different curves. And um, uh, this uh, group of um, Bitcoin wizards, they realized, well, if we only focus on one curve, then maybe we can make it uh, much faster. 
verification and signing in the case of ECDSA. And of course, verification is extremely important. That's what all nodes do. That is, um, impacts decentralization. It impacts uh, uh, resource requirements. And um, well, it turned out that their hypothesis was correct. So uh, LibSec is much, much faster for these operations than OpenSSL. And it's not only about uh, performance. I think it's also about simplicity, right? So if you focus on a few primitives and try to get them right with exactly one curve, so basically exactly what is needed within Bitcoin Core and maybe a bit of divider ecosystem, um, then also you can yeah focus much more on, on code quality because there's fewer things to maintain and APIs get simpler and yeah it's OpenSSL is just a different beast because it's larger and it has a, as as Jonas said a bunch of different use cases. Out of interest, do you have uh, actual benchmarks of how much faster it is now than it was when it was on OpenSSL? Oh, I mean, I guess we had those. Uh, I can't tell you right now, but it's I don't know. I, I'm not going to say a number. <laughs> Uh, a lot faster. Maybe Jonas knows more. I don't know. Yeah, same here. It feels a lot faster. <laughs> <laughs> OpenSSL is an absolute disaster too, right? I mean, it's like this massive, massive library that is very hard to review, uh, very hard to maintain, and uh, it, it could have a lot of uh, blind spots there. Though, I mean, I, I would be careful to call it a disaster, right? It has a different... <laughs> uh, not really. I mean... Um, <laughs> It has a different audience. Um, it's a huge code base. It's older, and it was for a very long time. It was underfunded. So um, <laughs> fair enough. They they all we all have the same problems, and and uh, we, <laughs> it looks like we I guess we were lucky, but uh, also because we yeah we, we didn't have really uh, vulnerabilities uh, so far or, or real actual vulnerabilities uh, except for maybe a few constant time issues that we quickly patched out but yeah in the end we, we all have the same techniques right so we have a few, we have less code and it's easier maybe to review and we have we spend more time on, on review but the open ssl guys are are writing a good library there's no well, doubt. i think it's also easier to use correctly right like open ssl yeah. is is like a big library it does lots of things um and it can be really difficult to use you know apis correctly and and like know what the right set of options are having a library that's really targeted at kind of the bitcoin use case um gets rid of a lot of foot guns in the in the usage of it yeah it's my opinion yeah i i don't know like i i feel like a lot of this very massive crypto libraries tend to be messed with by state actors not in terms of just like you know adding a hole to it that's not the point they don't they don't well they try to do that but they don't accomplish it that often but they master them on a social level they they um they try to fuzz some of the 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 consensus finding between maintainers uh and uh and there's more room for things to happen but like moving on to libsac i mean you know it is nice that you know Originally, you guys only had to do a VCDSA, uh, and now you know we've added Schnorr. How was the the process? How do you guys feel the process was uh, like adding this second big uh, crypto primitive in there? So luckily, the 
Schnorr implementation is not all that difficult once you have an implementation of the curve that you can trust. So um, a lot of effort went into writing the specification and the BIP, maybe much more than um, the implementation itself. Because for, for the BIP already, you need to define what exactly are the Schnorr signatures, um, how do they look like. There are a lot of uh, possibilities for bike shedding, of course, and also you already have to think about all the different edge cases that can occur because um, in these uh, BIPs, there's often also a, a reference implementation that we had to do. The one in uh, BIP Schnorr is uh, in Python. And we also have a set of uh, test vectors that is not, wasn't that easy to create because that one really tries to uh, exercise as many edge cases as, as possible. Because uh, of course we wanted, we want the BIP to be written in a way such that it's very hard to mess up when you actually implement this. And uh, this also helps us, of course, if we implement it in LibSecP later. What, uh, what tools do you guys use when you're sort of exercising and testing uh, your, your every part that you're implementing? I think um, <laughs> one possible answer here is that our main tool is, is called Review. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think this is maybe what makes the library stand out a bit is the effort and time we spend on, on reviewing code um, is probably very high for even for uh, a crypto library. Um, so we, um, I don't know, sometimes uh, we, we spend uh, hours and hours on, I don't know, 10 lines of code. And um, we, we spent some, for sure, for example, we spent some hours on the on the Schnorr implementation, even, even when the BIP was um, mostly done. And um, as Jonas said, this is not a lot of code, actually, but uh, we uh, keep thinking about it and, and look at it, um, comment and try to improve things uh, before we merge it. But if you ask about uh, real tools, we do a lot of simple um, testing on a, on mostly on CI, but also locally. So we have automated testing, but also local testing on our development machines. And one notable thing maybe there is that we target on a, we, we test on a, on a wide range of, of platforms. We test on different operating systems. We test on different uh, CPU architectures. We test with different compilers. Um, and on, on top of that, we use a few um, a few tools uh, like um, and static or, or dynamic analysis tools. For example, Valgrind is a tool that uh, targets binaries that helps us to find memory issues and also constant time issues. And we have a tiny bit of um, formal verification in the in the library. For example, our some of our formulas for the uh, curve um, are actually formally verified, but that's only a a, a tiny bit. We try to add a bit more, or at the moment we are trying to add a bit more formal verification. But it's at the moment it's mostly pure code review and, and higher development standards. What are some of the? Oh, go ahead, Jesse. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, I think the, the Valgren tests are particularly interesting because as far as I know, I don't think Valgren was built to test for constant time. Um, but for memory issues, like it can check whether um, you're branching on uninitialized memory. But it turns out that's like also what you need to check for constant time. So you can set like a, a secret value as uninitialized in your Valgren test and then check if there's any branching on it. Exactly, yeah. But I, I'm not sure if that's used anywhere else for Valgren um, or if that's just like a SECP thing. No, no, um, that's uh, used in other libraries too. I mean, um, I think we we maybe do the most uh, testing in, in, in that respect because we use it on different platforms, etc. But um, this is uh, nowadays a pretty well known trick, and it works exactly as you as you described it. So, uh, Ragrind is. Um, actually a memory checker and it, what it can do it, it can tell you when your code your uh, final binary branches on uninitialized data so if there's an if statement that um, depends on um, memory which is not un, uh, which is not in initialized and of course this is a this is a problem in, in, in production and um, the trick now is you can uh, you you can tell it to consider any memory uninitialized so it can also tell you then to not to report you can tell it not to report uh, branches on uninitialized data but also branches on secret data and this is exactly what you want to avoid in uh, in this constant time programming to make sure you don't have um, timing side channels and uh, this is kind of an abuse of Valgrind but it's basically from the technical point of view it just does its job and replace the word uninitialized by secret and everything works out very cool um, for the people that don't know uh, libsec is written in C which does require more management more memory management uh, but you know you gain everything else that C gets you um, Jonas you were going to comment there uh, yeah, I wanted to mention maybe a few other tools. So um, uh, one thing that is also important for us is that when we run the test suite, that basically all lines and all branches of the code are covered and exercised um, by this test suite. So we use a tool or a set of tools in the uh, coverage for coverage analysis, which uh, shows us, okay, with this uh, set of tests, we've um, actually reached these lines, et cetera. And we try to reach as many lines as possible. Some lines of code are not really possible to reach. They are cryptographically impossible. It would be hard to find such an input or impossible, um, presumably, or hopefully even to find uh, such an input. And then we look, okay, how good is this test? Or do we need an additional test uh, to exactly exercise this line and how do, would we create this test. So this is called uh, coverage analysis. And um, another way to also produce uh, test vectors is uh, through fast testing. So we don't have a um, fast testing harness right now that you could run and just fast test certain functions. But some of the test vectors were generated with uh, fast testing also using 
coverage um, analysis to find interesting test vectors and then just hard code them into uh, the library. And then one other thing that comes to mind is uh, what we call exhaustive tests. So um, on the curve sec P256K1, there are of course a lot of points and um, that means there are a lot of public keys and secret keys and uh, we cannot really test all of them. Of course, that will be uh, impossible, but um, it turns out there's a smaller curve that can um, uh, that we can use that can also exercise most of our code. So it works on most of our code. Um, but the difference is that there are only very few points on that curve, like uh, depending on there are multiple such curves, like could be seven, say there are seven points. And then of course you can test all public keys. Can they uh, create a, um, can they create a signature and can such a signature be verified, which I think is also a very, uh, interesting test that you can do. And this is, by the way, something that only we do. I haven't seen this um, in another library. We, we mentioned this a few times uh, to, to other library developers and they're interested, but I've never seen anyone else use that technique. So that's kind of, uh, yeah, signature. Very cool. Looks like P. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Bitcoin is a unique project, right? I mean, it's very rare that you're going to have uh, a whole network be based on something and the validation be done by every peer um, and you be verifying signatures of every single interaction that every peer has on the network. It's it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Guys, what's what's the most interesting thing that you found writing this library so like for each of you so tim uh whoa that's, a, <laughs> that's an interesting question i, I have something I if know. you want you can you can get some time to think but yeah, I have yeah, give, give me can. some time not sure <laughs> if i can will come up uh, with something go ahead yeah. go ahead jonas so one of the interesting things that i find is that um there are still better algorithms that come that have recently come out for relatively primitive operations. So you would think that taking an inverse of a number in a field is sort of a solved problem for many years. And there's one algorithm that you just use and that's the fastest one. And presumably there's no, has not been a faster one in the last 30 years and similar uh, for taking a square root of a number or something because it sounds so easy. Uh, but actually, that is um, something that we've continuously made progress on. Uh, That's amazing. Finding, finding faster algorithms for these primitive operations and implementing them. That that's a that's a very uh, uh, interesting thing. I I did not think of that. <laughs> I mean, like uh, you would think that uh, square root has been resolved, like and optimized to death, but clearly hasn't. Go ahead, Lloyd. I had a question just on that point, like, uh, so all these little uh, interesting, fascinating improvements come out in various uh, parts of the arithmetic in the elliptic curve cryptography. Given that the library is so crucial for Bitcoin, do you like sometimes hesitate about, you know, using that latest paper to do that, uh, that, uh, you know, optimization or you're like, no, this is I, from what it looks like. It looks like you guys go, okay, that looks good. And then you write your sage math proof out and then you become confident and then you go 
So it's a bit it's a, it's a bit more responsible than what I was suggesting. Yeah, just wondering how you approach that problem. Uh, right. Yeah, that that is a that is a good question, and I think uh, again it comes down to these uh, multiple things that are into play, where we have a lot of code review and um, testing. And um, also uh, for these particular things, um, especially in, in the past year, there were also some, uh, some of these uh, formal um, verification efforts where you can prove that a certain algorithm has certain properties that will terminate and that will actually output the inverse of something. And if you see a proof, um, a um, computational proof that you could run on a computer, not written down on a piece of paper, then that uh, seems to be pretty convincing that uh, this algorithm actually works. But yeah, it's it's a it's a indeed a very interesting question, I think, because the the code base is very well tested, and uh, we have a, a bunch of contributors who. Come, come up regularly with, with nice uh, performance improvements, uh, including uh, Peter himself, but also uh, uh, Peter Peter Deadman, who is a maintainer of uh, Bouncy Castle, the Java crypto library. And um, yeah, it's it's an interesting trade-off, right? You get like, okay, maybe you get a, a potential 2% performance improvement, but um, you need a lot of time to to understand the algorithm uh, before you you're confident to to replace the old algorithm, and that's why we had, like Jonas mentioned, in recent uh, big overhauls, we really used uh, formal verification, for example, in the safe GCD implementation, one uh, algorithm for GCDs. Um, we had support from. Russell O'Connor, who wrote a, a cock proof that shows that the algorithm is correct, which run for a month, I think, <laughs> before it terminated. So before cock, uh, the proof assistant terminated and told us that the algorithm was hopefully correct. Um, that's, a, that's a huge amount of effort. And also the, the algorithm came with us. So Peter wrote the code, but he also... Uh, wrote a very long markdown document detailing all the uh, implementation choices and basically from uh, building up the algorithm in uh, Python or in pseudocode from the bare algorithm to all the tiny um, optimizations such in the end you only need to understand the Python optimizations in the end check that the Python matches the C code so that was really a, a huge effort there. Yeah, I, uh, I'm really interested in this kind of uh, formal verification in terms of thinking about the future of tooling. Um, I remember Jonas gave uh, a great talk on HackSpec, um, and it's, I think, interesting to contemplate how we might write this code in the future. Because there's a, a work, or HackSpec is a, is a subset of Rust, and it you can have a really interesting workflow where you write uh, a cryptographic specification in HackSpec, um, and then you can uh, implement the component in uh, in a special language that allows you to prove that the implementation meets the specification, and then the verified code can be compiled to high performance uh, like C code. And, uh, and so you can get this really 
nice uh, assurance that the code you're writing is actually consistent with the specification that you're trying to implement. Yes, right. I, I think formal verification, that's a very important topic. And you, you mentioned the, the future of tooling. It would be really nice if that was the future of tooling. Right now, these tools are still very hard uh, to use. And um, I mean, they require like they're really a lot of specification to actually produce proofs that um, your program actually matches some sort of specification and um, uh, Hexpec, this uh, subset of Rust that you mentioned, doesn't do all that much. It's just the language for uh, writing a specification, um, which can be read not only by proof engineers, experts in COC or whatever, but it can be read by uh, regular programmers, hopefully. And you can use this specification and you can compile it down to um, languages that are suited for formal verification, such as, uh, as COC. And then you could try to prove that um, the C implementation that you have actually matches uh, this uh, COC specification that was compiled from uh, the Hexpec. Right now, the way this would work is that, um, or at least um, according to the work that Russell O'Connor has been done on the library, uh, you have some C code and he writes a specification in Coq, what the C code is supposed to do. And then he proves that these two are um, equivalent. And he's done that for some small parts of the uh, library so far. And Hexpec would give you this additional ability to have something that is readable for the average programmer, um, or maybe slightly above average programmer, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, at least it doesn't mean that we have to add cock to our specifications. But I think it's an improvement over having uh, Python in the in the specifications like uh, BibSchnorr right now or BibMusic. So how do you guys feel about um, all the wrappers uh, and the stack that people use on top of libsec, right? I mean, uh, we have a Python uh, wrapper, uh, libngu. Um, uh, for example, uh, the there is like all the JavaScript kids doing, um, I think it goes to Rust and then JavaScript and then Wasm. Um, and... And there is a lot of serializing, deserializing, serializing, serializing that happens in some of these. And uh, I guess like a lot of the attack surface comes from uh, people using the APIs correctly and uh, and not leaking things as they come in and out of the library. Like, do you guys interact a lot with uh, vendors uh, integrating LibSack? Um Basically not at all, um, <laughs> which is a bit sad. I mean, we, we or not, not at all, I guess is wrong, but um, we sometimes, uh, we, we often don't even know our, our users. And uh, also we often don't know what bindings exist. And 
Um, sometimes I, I stumble upon projects that use libsecp and then I see that they have some strange hacks to get our code working and I then think, okay, why didn't you just talk to us, open an issue and maybe we could have looked into it. Um, so really, I, I would, of course, it, it means work for us, but I would appreciate if, if actually users and also other libraries, wrappers, whatever, uh, talk more to us and reach out to us if they think something could be improved or they need a certain API or, or whatever. Um, that's my feeling, at least. So uh, you want to interact, but, you know, within a limit. <laughs> it's like, I want to know what you're doing, but please don't email me too much. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... <laughs> Some, it's some, the conundrum uh, of library makers, right? Yeah, a co colleague at Blockstream told me, oh, don't have users, don't do that. That's, uh, that's a mistake. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, the answer for me is, is the same as Tim's, but uh, also when I look at these uh, wrappers, it often um, is the case that they wrap very old versions of libsecp, which is... In general, maybe not such a big problem, except of course they miss features, maybe improvements, but faster than, than the newer versions. But um, we already mentioned that there was a potential side, two potential side channel issues in the last uh, six months. And um, we tried to communicate this as good as we could. We made a release, we wrote an email to the Bitcoin uh, dev mailing list. And, um, then we later, I realized, okay, or we realized, uh, no one had really updated yet. So either they didn't know, or they didn't think that this was, could actually be a problem or they don't care, or these wrappers are unmaintained. And it is still the case. I think that, um, a lot of wrappers are have not uh, updated uh, yet so i think this could be potentially a problem in using these uh, these wrappers um uh, for for accessing lib libsecp especially if you use more than than one wrapper like rust javascript that sounds a bit insane <laughs> that's that's a lot of wallets out there um so so like have have any conversation happened in terms of like maybe developing more sane bindings or wrappers for different languages? Yeah, you need to find people to maintain it. I think that's that's the main problem. So I mean, even the the Rust libraries hadn't really updated. I'm not sure if they have yet the Rust wrappers for um, libsecp. Um, so. I would have said that this is a sane, uh, sane wrapper and it presumably still is, but, um, just maintaining these things, of course, that takes effort. And it's also annoying that you have to update, uh, all the time, whenever there's libsecp update, although we try to make a libsecp update only every three months now. Yeah. I mean, the, the least amount of update as uh, as somebody who pulls, uh, <laughs> and watches libsec. I mean, the least amount of updates is the best. <laughs> <laughs> Please do it once a year, Max, unless there's a, a vulnerability. I mean, the good thing is, I hope that's a good thing that we now have releases finally, right? So I think we... Like no, that the helps library, too, a lot. In its first <laughs> eight or nine years, or even 10, I don't know, <laughs> guess eight years or something like that, didn't have a single release. So people were using... We just had to watch the commits. Yeah, right. 
And so I, I hope that that's a step forward for, so for users. So w- would you say for somebody listening right now, uh, we have like a, a very, very high quality, lower level guy who can, who can build a, a good binding wrapper library for, say, Python or for Rust or even maybe JavaScript. If the issue is funding, I mean, like, you know, there's OpenSAT, uh, there's Brink, there's a bunch of foundations now that can uh, fund this work full-time, long-term. You know, is this a call to action that you guys would like to put out there? Like, is it worth to have somebody who's, like, really doing this full-time and, and interacting with you guys who are writing the libraries? Uh, I'm not sure if this would be a full-time job, but, um, yeah, I think uh, that that would be cool. Um, it seems like there's a lot of people who use these uh, these wrappers, and um, as I said, I don't think they're always high quality. So it would be really nice to improve the um, the, the state here. Another issue maybe that uh, prevents people from uh, using the library or wrapping it um, is that if you ask me, I think we could have a yeah, we could have a bit of yeah, some sometimes more features. Um, even even Bitcoin Core does a bit of key handling and uh, tweaking keys, taproot tweaking, and so on. Um, in their code base and not using the library. Um, so maybe it's also one one problem of our library in a sense that the API is very restricted. Of course, it's kind of a design choice because we want to have a very safe API that you can't really abuse. But if you if you need that tiny feature that we can't offer, then of course, um, yeah, you you wouldn't choose you wouldn't choose our library, right? So you would use something else, even though the quality maybe maybe lower. So this is something where we may be able to improve. But on the other hand, then we again need that kind of feedback. So I'm always interested to hear what people, uh, what use cases are and what people need in practice. Cool. So like switching gears a little bit, here's a question for you guys. Like, um, how do you guys test for side channel attacks? How do you guys explore that path, you know, without going to actual, say, hardware out there and test everything out, right? Like it, it, it's, a, it's sort of like a, a fuzzy out there problem that you know you can try to do your best uh but it's nearly impossible to fully curb it all like how do you guys approach this problem so um we already touched upon this we have those uh yeah we, we use uh, well grind and we can also use another tool to do basically the same uh that can tell us uh um if we branch on uh on secret data, and this this is basically what we mean by yeah. uh, constant time code. So we want to avoid branches on on secret data because uh, branches could mean that the code path behind those two branches are, are uh, yeah take different uh, take a different amount of time, and so are visible if you uh, if you have a watch clock or um, if you can observe timing. So um, this is our methodology. The problem here is. Um, we can test this on the binaries that we produce. So it really depends on on what the compiler does. Um, so um, if you really, I don't know, if you if you build a hardware wallet or something like that, we would also encourage you to try to get this running on 
on your specific hardware or maybe in an emulator on the exact same architecture, exact same compiler, just to make sure that the final binary that, that is produced um, doesn't have side channel leakage. Because we, we try to cover a yeah, wide space of, of architectures and compilers and, and maybe even compiler flags and so on. But in the end, everything which is embedded, for example, is a bit... <laughs> niche by definition so it's, yes. it's it's hard i mean um writing constant time code is still a bit of a black magic we don't really have compiler support for this so uh, crypto people uh tell this uh to compiler engineers for are telling this to the compiler engineers for for years that we would like to have features where we tell the compiler okay please don't put a branch here, but um, and, and they are they are aware of the problem, but they're not going to spend time on it. At least that's the um, state of the things. So um, as long as we don't have it, it's really a bit of a black magic. You write some code, you hope that the compiler uh, doesn't turn it into a branch, and the only way to figure out is basically either you look at the uh, assembly output by the compiler, which is of course super difficult and, and hard and, and uh, doesn't really scale, or you, you run a tool such as Walkrind to test that automatically. But again, you can only test on the binary that you produce, so it's it's also limited. Have you have you guys thought about uh, maybe having like you know uh, either a person or a group of people who maybe test some of the like most common use? Uh, embedded implementations out there because that's really where a lot of the stuff ends up right um we, we haven't really thought about this and, and i think this is something that uh should be done on really on the on the manufacturer or on the on the consumer side because um it's it's hard to um it's hard to to cover everything um, of course, we can we can try to to test on as I said on the most basic things like for example we can test on ARM and we can test on Intel CPUs and maybe those are similar to to the ones uh, used in yep. embedded systems but it's it's kind of hard to really test on all the on all the hardware devices. Yeah, I, I mean, like I, I feel like having the tasks done in in sort of like most. Uh, of the embedded platforms, like at least on the say ARM side, it's already very helpful, right? We we do a bunch of checks internally as well, but uh, <laughs> and we have some assembly capabilities internally. But uh, you know, it, it's like it's like an endless rabbit hole, right? And realistically speaking, when it comes to runtime code, you have all kinds of other side channel issues to just based on the hardware because you know once it's in memory it's in memory and and it, it could be uh, attacked that way go ahead Jonas yeah I just uh, wanted to add to what Tim said um, and exemplify the issue a bit more maybe is that these side channel issues that we talked about that appeared in the last six months the two they were not because we introduced new code or because we had uh, better tooling suddenly. We still use the same Valgrind tooling that we explained. It's just that um, there was a new compiler version that um, we hadn't tested before or that came out and that optimized out our constant timeless uh, protections. And uh, that's something that we cannot really, um, we don't know what compilers will do in the future. So there will never be a perfect protection against compilers 
optimizing out this these constant uh, time defenses, and uh, therefore it's just really hard to to protect against this. One thing where we improved here is that now we test on unreleased compiler snapshots. So we now test uh, our code even on unreleased um, Clang development snapshots or on unreleased GCC, GCC uh, development snapshots. So hopefully we can catch bugs now before the compiler gets released. But yeah, it's all the all the mentioned uh, limitations that we talked about still apply, of course. Right, and then it continues to be a cat and mouse game. We will find that there's an issue with a new compiler, then we try to find new constant timeless protections and then hope that they don't optimize it away in, in, uh, in, in, in future versions. Yeah, I mean, when, when it comes to like uh, much deeper issues with code, like security code, or a much more advanced attack, uh, like advanced... Um, uh, adversaries, uh, you know, it really comes down to compilers, right? Like, uh, you, you know, like trust your compilers really is where the rubber meets the road uh, until you really get down to the hardware issues. Um, so it's just nice to see that like so much attention is put into that. Uh, Rindell, I assume uh, you were having some connection issues there like me. Uh, do, do you have questions? Yeah, I was going to ask a question about HackSpec a while ago, um, right when my connection dropped out. I, I don't know if, if anybody knows if um, it actually validates the C implementation or not. Like one of the big problems with a lot of formal modeling tools is you end up with this conformance gap between the specification and the actual implementation. Uh, like I've done some work in um, like TLA plus or uh, P which which are both for you know modeling uh concurrent systems or um you know modeling uh like state machines so it's it's a different category of tool but in a lot of these tools you know if, if you don't have something that can actually validate the implementation then you can have a formally proven algorithm but still have like implementation issues so do you guys know if like the the cock spec that comes out of this ends up actually going against like a SAT solver for your C code or something else like, or is, is, is it just still a problem? Uh, so hex spec doesn't help with that at all. It's just essentially, okay. it's just a, cool. a language yeah, so that's, that's still a yeah, that you can app. compile to cock basically. It's yeah, just yeah, yeah. a better way to view cock programs and the state of the art for these formal verified things is uh, still not great. It's often um, like sort of it's coming more into practical reality, but a lot of that stuff is still academic or just very weird old proprietary stuff. So for example, um, the way that uh, Russell O'Connor does the formal verification of these libsecp primitives is that um, he takes the C code and uh, then he hopes that this C code is... Um, actually uh, is, lies in a subset of C that's called verifiable C. Mm -hmm. And this verifiable C, there, there's a um, compiler, proprietary compiler. We, we have a license at Blockstream uh, for that, for doing um, analysis with that compiler on libsecp. And you take the C, this verifiable C code, and then you can translate it into Coq. And then you hope that um, this translation is correct. Um, 
and then you can make uh, uh, these, then you have the cock code and then you can make proofs over this code. So as long as the translation sure. is correct, um, you have a proof over that code, but that doesn't mean that, for example, the GCC or a Clang compiler doesn't introduce, doesn't interpret the C code differently than this uh, propriety compiler. It's called ComSort. Yeah, that makes sense. What what other primitives do you guys have uh, uh, in research right now on uh, on zk? What do you mean by primitives? Like what what other signature types are coming, and what other um, so for example, we have aggregated signatures coming at some point. What, what other research is is happening on that field? So I think one of the interesting things um, is uh, this whole work on adapter signatures. So um, adapter signatures have been around at least the idea for quite a while. Um, Lloyd wrote a paper on it, uh, proving its, um, uh, its properties. And um, we're currently working on an implementation for adapter signatures working with Schnorr signatures, um, because that is something that might be used in um, lightning uh, PTLCs, point time locked contracts, uh, because there's, um, there is the possibility of either using adapter signatures with Schnorr or using music adapter signatures. The former we already have, and the latter is something we add, and then we let the Lightning people experiment what they like best. Cool. I have a question here from Vivek. What is the process of standardizing new primitives, such as how things behave on the stack for future SegWit versions? I'm not sure I fully understand the question. Vivek is on the chat, so he can uh, clarify if he wants. Oh yeah, he mentioned cross-input integration. Uh, so right, there's this uh, whole field of signature aggregation uh, oh. schemes and um, the idea will be you have many signatures right now, one for every input of the transaction or more even for per input of the transaction. It would be nice if you had only one signature per transaction or even one signature per block. And you hope that this signature would be smaller than the size of the sum of the um, signatures. So there are many possible ways for how to do this and even many cryptographic schemes. Um, but for future SegWit versions, yeah, I think that would be something that um, could be potentially added. In particular, there's the scheme that um, is often called half aggregation. Uh, that is relatively simple, uh, would be easy to do. You could add it relatively easy, easy on the transaction level where um, instead of having a signature per input, you would have one half aggregated signature per transaction. And the size of the signature is half of the size of the individual signatures. And the nice thing about this is that there are security proofs for this, which is, I think, very important if we want to add something to Bitcoin. And uh, second, um, it is non-interactive. Um, so unlike music or whatever, you don't have these multiple nonce rounds that could go all wrong and a lot of secret data that you need to share and replay attacks, etc. You just produce a signature and then someone else can take two signatures and produce a half aggregated signature uh, very easily. Um, of course, that doesn't, that doesn't reduce the size of the signatures uh, to some constant size, but it's at least 
we save half of the size of the signatures, which I think is attractive given that it's relatively simple to do. So how do you guys decide uh, on uh, what's ready from to move from either dev or ZKP to the main release of uh, LibSec? Um, so in, in LibSecP itself, we don't really have a dev branch or something like that. We, we have a master branch where all the development happens. And if we cut a release, it's hopefully just uh, yeah, the current state of the, the master branch. Of course, there can be like can be exceptions where we, we are not sure about the change and we um, we create a separate branch for release or we quickly revert it and, and then release. But usually we, we don't have a um, separate um, development thing. We had um, experimental modules for a while and um, we uh, may have experimental modules in, in the future if we introduce new features and we are not sure about the API. Um, for example, we may add uh, more experimental modules, but at the moment, all of our modules are non-experimental, and, and maybe that's a that's a good thing because um, it, it's a bit hard uh, to declare something as experimental because what does it signal to the users, right? Should I use that? Shouldn't I use this? It, it's kind of unclear. What are the stability guarantees across versions? Um, it's all a bit undefined, so maybe we can... Uh, get away without those uh, things, uh, without those experimental modules in the future. So what's the what's the role of uh, ZKP? Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's a really good question um, and also one that has been um, debated among um, developers even because for some while and, and maybe maybe still at the moment it, it's a bit or it was or it is a bit unclear um, what the exact um, distinction or scope of uh, um, SecP and uh, SecP CKP should be. So uh, SecP CKP, for those who don't know, is a um, code fork of LibSecP. It's uh, maintained by uh, Blockstream. And the reason why it uh, Blockstream forked um, LibSecP is that we use it at Blockstream in uh, our elements or liquid sidechain. So elements is the open source version, basically the, the code base and the uh, actual chain is, is liquid. And so we needed more cryptographic features. So we forked um, the library. Um, what happened later is that it was also used maybe as a testbed for more like experimental features. For example, uh, the current, or I mean, there are multiple implementations, but uh, the Music 2 implementation that uh, Jonas and I produced lived there, lives there in LibSec PCKP. And um, this is kind of a... Um, unclear whether it should live there because it's uh, relevant or I believe it's relevant to the uh, wider Bitcoin ecosystem and not only to the liquid and elements ecosystem. So um, I believe that should be part of, of LibSecP and probably we will 
um, open the PR that, that merges it into the, or that if accepted, uh, will add it to the, to the main uh, libsecp library. And um, yeah, so this is still, this is still an ongoing debate, but if you ask me, my, my opinion is that uh, libsecp should contain features that um, are relevant for the Bitcoin ecosystem and not, this is not necessarily limited to features used in Bitcoin Core. Of course, if it's used in Bitcoin Core, then we should have it because it's it's strictly necessary. But we can also have features as um, that are relevant to the Bitcoin ecosystem and are not directly used in Bitcoin Core. Of course, we still need to maintain them. We have to commit on, on uh, spending work and doing review and so on. But as long as we do and, and think careful about what features we need or we want to add, we can, um, we can add features there. Do you think there is a, a possibility of becoming sort of feature creep and end up at like OpenSSL where, you know, because like that's essentially like what happened to core way back then right i mean bitcoin used to be just called yeah. bitcoin and it was like the wallet and the consensus got everything together and then gavin you know sort of pushed for for us to to split the wallet from uh the consensus code which is very tricky uh and then it became the clusterfuck after like in terms of like the drum around and all that stuff but let's ignore that for a second um do you think that we could so for example have a libsec uh core Right, that's like essentially like the true, very like tight, very few things in there, and then we have sort of like this sort of like a, a slightly separate release that is maintained together and all, but has non-core uh, features that are very industry sort of you know they're needed by the industry, but they are not necessarily. Um, they're not as broad, right, by all vendors, for example. Yeah, I mean. First of all, I, of course, uh, feature creep can be a problem. Um, I, um, but I don't think uh, it will be a problem in, in LibSecP because uh, we add features very slowly at the moment, also because our bandwidth is limited. So you like, we don't even have the time to <laughs> get into feature creep uh, issues, <laughs> I think. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I mean, what what you suggested is one possible uh, one possible way to to have a library where you have parts of it um, relevant to Bitcoin Core and parts of it uh, not relevant to Bitcoin Core. I'm, I'm not sure if this is the the optimal way forward. Or for example, we have this existing module system that I mentioned. We could also just have modules that are relevant to core and modules that are not relevant to Bitcoin core. And if Bitcoin core compiles the code, they can just disable the, the other modules. Yep. And But this, that's another kind of um, interesting and uh, unresolved question is how to how do we allow others to, to add features? Because there are certainly things that we don't want to have in LibSecP. Um, uh, and we, the prime example is a lot of stuff that is in LibSec PCKP just because it's relevant in the in the uh, elements and liquid ecosystem. We, of course, we won't add this to to LibSecP. But then the the, uh, the question is, what is the easiest way? And at the moment, we uh, the way LibSecP is CKP is maintained is as a as a code fork, but that has all kind of uh, issues. So we were thinking about maybe adding some more mod modularity, maybe have a, a 
kind of a middle layer that exposes some low-level operations that then others can use to, uh, including Blockstream, but also yeah, everyone in the ecosystem who knows uh, what they're doing <laughs> basically to <laughs> implement their own um, uh, primitives on top of the uh, curve code, for example, as exposed by some low-level library. Um, but we haven't really made uh, progress on this on this question so far. Yeah, like there's some stuff in in zkp that I think would definitely make sense to have in the upstream libsecp. Right? There's um, like ECDSA adapter signatures. Um, I think there's like music two in there, but there's also things like um, you know Peterson Peterson commitments and like range proofs for doing CT. And uh, like, I, I, I think you could make the argument either way about whether or not that should be in like the upstream one. Do you think it's a um, sort of like a review gap of, you know, we need to have more review on these, you know, additional features before they can get folded into the upstreamed um, libsecp? Or is it is it just like intent? Is it rebasing time? Like, what, what do you think is the 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 thing that's keeping these libraries really apart. Maybe also Jonas has uh, Jonas has thoughts on this, but if you ask me, um, yeah, um, review is part of the reason, but I don't think it's the it's the main reason. It was just historically that um, also uh, we um, just thought, okay, maybe it's easier to get uh, some experimental stuff integrated in LibSec PCKP because. Uh, we we at Blockstream we just control it right we we control the process and the, um, of course the quality standard is very high but it's it's uh, it's still uh, I would say a bit uh, a bit lower than in uh, in upstream uh, P. so it was the easy choice to to implement schemes like Music 2 in P CKP um, now in hindsight. Um, Maybe if you ask me, I think the, the proper uh, separation between the, those projects should be that just LibSecP focuses on the Bitcoin ecosystem and LibSecP CKP focuses on the Elements Liquid um, ecosystem. And then, but, you know, is this like a, sort of like a wishful thinking or is this sort of like a, a realistic path that is worth exploring? I think it's, it's, it's realistic. So um, as I said, we plan to... Uh, open a pull request that will add, hopefully, <laughs> add uh, music to to libsec p um, uh, to the Bitcoin Core libsec p. Um, so that would be one step to move one of those features that probably belongs to the uh, Core libsec p to to that library. And maybe the same is true for ECDSA adapter signatures and other features. We we need to see, but um, I think the the first uh, feature where we want to try this is uh, music too you know in the in the fear of uh you know uh what is it the nine mothers don't make a baby go faster right <laughs> it still needs nine months of a single mother uh oftentimes having less uh maintainers and less developers is the best course of action for critical software <laughs> having more reviewers on the other hand is always a great thing do you guys feel like this library could use more people, has enough people uh, on the development side? And, and what do you feel about also the review side? Uh, I, just, I just wanted to add to the, to the previous point that I'm not 100% convinced that uh, LibSecP should, should contain everything that might be potentially interesting to the um, Bitcoin ecosystem because uh, although there's not 
a huge risk that this will become bloatware. It still adds a maintenance burden if you add these new modules. Of course, if you want to do refactors across the code base, having more code just uh, makes that harder. So that I think it's still an open question and I think there's a spectrum of which one to take. I think it makes sense to, to move music into um, into LibSecP also because I think Core wants to use this and there are a lot of other projects. NVK mentioned that there's this potential uh, world where there's some core LibSecP library and some additional library that has additional things. That's sort of how it is right now with LibSecP ZKP as far as I understand it. The only problem would be that LibSecP ZKP is uh, sort of controlled by, by Blockstream as Tim said. So it hasn't, doesn't have uh, the best decentralized governance that um, maybe uh, LibSecP has. And um, one additional thing that I think is, is important, so for adding stuff to LibSecP, since uh, NVK, you asked about requirements, um, I think uh, one requirement is that uh, the thing we add has a specification. So I think these requirements, they have not been officially stated. This is something informal stuff that I would like to see. So uh, something has a specification. Um, it has a security proof. And um, ideally, it has shown uh, some interest uh, in the in the Bitcoin ecosystem. So, uh, so for example, for music, <clears throat> uh, all the three things uh, apply. So that is something we can move into LibSecP. There's clearly people using music right now in production and uh, securing quite a few uh, Bitcoin already. And uh, so, next thing would be. Yeah, how do we do that with Frost, for example? Frost is now a pull request to LibSecP ZKP. Um, so, and there exists security proofs. And um, what is missing is a reviewed implementation and um, uh, interest beyond just saying that there's interest and um, a specification. You know, it's interesting that you brought up Musig too, because, you know, like or unlike the big O, I mean, this guy is secure, you know, an ungodly amount of Bitcoin. So, you know, having those Bitcoins <laughs> secured and ideally uh, using a library that uh, that is good, uh, that is reviewed, you know, it gives Bitcoin confidence, right? If those funds are not stolen under that technology, even though it will likely be their own fault in terms of implementation. So... I mean, that, that really proves demand, right? I mean, if you have like, you know, a large percentage of the coins in the network being secured by a type of, of Bitcoin uh, um, technology, like Mosig 2, uh, it's nice that 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 is secured by the best library around. Is there any sort of like timeline or, or like intention on like when Mosig 2 would be on Libsack? Uh, two weeks. <laughs> no, but I, I think uh, I think we want to open the pull requests uh, relatively soon. I think it's interesting that you brought like a bit of like governance and and the and formalization and all that stuff in because you know traditionally the true hard software um, is. Uh, uh, it's often written and maintained by very few people. Uh, who are incredibly talented, 
uh, and uh, should not be wasting their time uh, sort of like interacting too much with the rest of the world who have not necessarily the most constructive feedback. But at the same time, Bitcoin is a very unique project. So governance uh, and and uh, both the true decentralization of it and also the perception of decentralization of it matters incredibly, right? That's what brings confidence to a lot of what we do every day in this space. So what is the current structure, uh, even if it's not like, uh, very well defined, uh, like uh, standardized. Like, what is the current way in which uh, LibSec is maintained? Like, how many people are involved on it, like full time, uh, or or you know, full time as I say, like like major maintainers. Uh, how many people sort of like help manage it? Uh, how many people help review it? So people get a sense of like the scope of this project. Tim, so the, yep. yeah, <laughs> the the main uh, ma maintainers are. Um, Peter, uh, Jonas, and me. And um, there is um, a handful of other um, contributors, um, though often uh, their contributions are not as as regular as as that of the uh, those of the maintainers. Um, but even even uh, among the maintainers, it's often that we uh, so we, we we don't do this uh, full time. Um, of course, we we get uh, we all get paid for it. Um, that's a good thing. But we also get paid to do other stuff. Um, so there may be uh, weeks with very high activity, and there very there are weeks with very um, low activity in the in the code base. And um, one issue maybe is that. Um, reviewer capacity is is pretty limited. It's uh, you hear the same from the Bitcoin Core project, but I think in our case it's it may be even a bit um, worse because if you do critical changes like uh, adding a new algorithm or um, doing a performance optimization, all of that is pretty critical code, and we want to have a lot of eyes on it. So. Usually in those kind of changes, all of the maintainers will be involved. And then, um, yeah, if, if, if someone is just not present at the time, we, we cannot make progress on a, on a thing. You know, on, on, on the, there is like a development that happened the last couple of years. I mean, like there's a lot of funding now available for people to work full time on core. So, you know, is this something you guys are looking for? Are you guys looking for funding to just work on this? Are you guys looking for new people coming in to do review full time on this? Um, I think um, funding is often, um, of, of course, funding is often a problem. It's it's not the it's not a problem of of the current uh, maintenance. It it uh, maybe a, a what stops other people looking into it more. But I often. What, what I often see is that if people start to uh, get in touch with the Bitcoin Core project, they of course, yeah, start when when they start, they look at the actual Bitcoin Core project and they end up doing um, development there. And it, it's a bit of, um, I think, yeah, one aspect is, is because it's the obvious first um, choice, but another aspect is that uh, sometimes people are a bit. They're scared away by the uh, cryptographic code <laughs> um, because they because it's 
I mean, it's true. It, it's kind of critical, and but other aspects are also critical, and it's also something um, one one can learn. So, I mean, the common um, common common saying is that you shouldn't roll your own crypto, but if um, of course that that sentence doesn't apply to everyone, right? Because <laughs> if no one does, then we won't have Great. any cryptography. So, I think it's it's a it's a space where we uh, could. Um, benefit from from uh, a bit of a more development bandwidth, and it's also not just on the on the cryptographic side. Of course, this is the interesting, very interesting stuff, but also, as I said, a bit the bit of the scary stuff. Um, but we also have uh, yeah issues and problems that every software project has, right? Like maintaining tests, CI, um, build systems, uh, documentation. All of that stuff. Also, uh, we we factors. You can uh, you can easily refactor code, and and even if you if you don't understand what it's what it's doing, right? <laughs> Just as long as you as you are sure that the old code is the same as the as the new code, you don't necessarily have to understand the um, the underlying algorithm. And so we we could we could uh, benefit on both sides. More people who actually are interested in the Marfa are, are willing to. Look at uh, uh, cryptographic details and, and learn something there, but also just um, more standard uh, software development and software maintenance stuff. Not sure what what Jonas thoughts here. Are. Okay, so so essentially what you're saying, just kidding, is that. Uh, People shouldn't even bother looking at Bitcoin Core to work on. It's political. It's too difficult. It's like, you know, I'm just kidding. It's a great project. But like, you know, if they want to just focus on great implementation, C, and, you know, cryptographic primitives and how to do like new algos for improving it, um, they should just come work on LibSec, right? I mean, come full time on LibSec. It's a little less political. Um, come review <laughs> yeah. it. There is funding available. Uh, it's a much smaller group of people, and uh, <laughs> and you can keep your sanity, right? And, and maybe in particular, if you if you think you are more kind of the uh, person that likes uh, mathematics or the underlying uh, underlying stuff, and is not that into like doesn't feel is the like it's like the the greatest programmer in the world. We we often don't don't need that, right? Because we have people who can look at the C specifics and and see if something is wrong. But just people who are willing to to understand uh, the 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 schemes and the uh, cryptography behind it. That that's really helpful for us. Plus, I mean, if you're a C programmer and you don't want to touch the yucky C plus uh, plus, you can you know come work full time <laughs> right. on C, which is the one that's true also language. True. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> C89, yeah, come. That's right. Uh, you know, <laughs> like, if you care about memory, this is the project. Yeah, go, go ahead. Who, who just was... Uh, uh, just wanted to, to emphasize that you can really learn this cryptographic stuff. So this year we had a Summer of Bitcoin project for um, implementing these uh, Schnorr adapter signatures that I mentioned. And um, like the, the project proposal that we put out was... Um, very difficult, in my opinion, to understand even, and um, uh, for because, for example, there are these terms in the in the adapter signature world they vary wildly, and you have these X only things, and there's a lot of weird stuff going on. 
but we still received uh, 30 applications and I would say 20 of them were really, really good. And it was very hard to um, decide which one uh, to take. Um, so that just um, shows that it's actually possible to learn these things um, and to like from very, from very uh, basic start to build out these systems and understand them and figure out how they work. Because in the end, it's mathematics, which means there is some truth to it. There is a way to figure it out. You just need to have the patience, maybe, and the motivation to do it. Yeah, totally. Uh, very, very, very important point. You don't need a, a PhD for for that stuff, and don't be uh, scared off by the by the cryptography. It, it's something that can be learned, and we all had to learn it, and it's possible. If you have autism, <laughs> yeah, it's probably better. Uh, I mean, not better, but like, I, I feel like if, if you're just like an incredibly talented C programmer, there is a lot of use for your skills in a project like this, even if you don't have all that experience with cryptography itself. So Lloyd and Jesse, I mean, you guys are more on the cutting edge stuff. When, when security proofs for Frost? I mean, I think uh, Jonas and, um, and Tim have just... Uh, been on that as well so it's more a question for them we just published a paper on that i guess that's true we've got a lot of security proofs at this point right i mean there's been there's original frost paper there's a bunch of follow-ups there's uh i think tim co-authored a recent paper that has a uh simplification of the dkg um it seems like it's been pretty well scrutinized in the last uh last few years um in terms of security proofs uh vivac wants to know about nested musig frost proof <laughs> ah that's an interesting next one. question <laughs> <laughs> oh boy is this a nerd sniping question i love this topic um how deep do you want to go <laughs> how, nest how nested are we here well, yeah, because like Jesse, I, th I think your original Frost implementation did nested music and then didn't because you wanted to like lean on the security proof from the original paper. And then I think you're doing it again, right? Well, no, the original impl implementation used the music APIs um, for the nonce generation and the signing. And uh, it created a it created a music aggregate key along with the frost key. I was I started to see all these overlaps between frost and music, so I just got interested in seeing like how well I could meld these two systems together on the implementation and protocol side. But that wasn't nesting. Um, uh, nesting is where one of the uh, music keys uh, would itself have been produced one or both, uh, with a frost DKG. Um, and, uh, so you have, you have, uh, a frost produced key inside of a, inside of music, um, which is potentially, well, there's a few places where that's could be useful, but one I think most notable is, uh, is with lightning. Um, because we don't really have a good way to do lightning multi-sig for the funding key. Um, without nesting, uh, one cool thing about taproot channels is they'll be able to pay out to frost keys in the outputs without any nesting or new security proofs or anything like that. But for the funding key, whenever you sign a new channel state update, um, 
if we wanted to to have multi-sig there, um, we could theoretically nest Frost inside of Musig. Um, and that's something we know works algebraically, or in other words, we know it works to produce a signature that verifies. We don't know if it's secure, or there's also a few different ways it could be done. Um, some probably secure, others not so. We also have some issues in terms of the lightning um, use case where even if we could figure that out, um, the uh, that just deals with the key management. You still have the issue of state management. So let's say you had an offline signer that's part of your Frost Musig. Um, when that offline signer comes online, they need to get to some consensus about the state of the channel. Otherwise, they could easily be uh, tricked into signing a revoked state. So uh, to do that, you probably need some kind of BFT consensus for the offline signer um, to be able to uh, figure out what channel state is the latest state. Um, so there's, a, there's, there's also open questions about how revocation can be handled. Um, we have a, uh, some discussion on the, uh, on matrix. There's like an L2 multi-sig, um, channel where we've kind of, uh, been discussing some ideas there and how it might work, but it's still pretty early on and, uh, kind of speculative whether or not we'll be able to get something like that working. Yeah, I was, um, interesting story. I'm actually, was it yesterday or the day before I was talking to, as far as I know, the first uh, mainnet Frost user custodying people's Bitcoin. Uh, he's, he's, there's a guy named uh, Kugathatso, and he runs a service called Machankura, and he's using our Frost implementation, as experimental as it is, uh, to actually do the custody for his users' funds. And it's like an SMS service in Africa, so you can SMS <laughs> people, send Bitcoin via SMS. And he's got, you know, a few thousand users. And so this is actually happening. He oh, that's like, really yeah. cool. He's, he's asking. Yeah, yeah it's, it's actually happening. And so, yeah, he, it's, a, it's, it's, a very, it's, a, it's a risky choice, let's say, at this stage. But, I mean, it saves in transaction fees. And it's, um, it's more like an internal thing. So it's not interacting with other users. It's like interacting uh, with other locations, service, his own servers and, you know, spread around different locations to just split up the key and do signatures um, when withdrawals are requested. And so he has, but he has this problem, like, right? So it's like he can split up his frost key, but now he wants to split up his lightning node uh, because his, he also offers like lightning payments via SMS. Uh, and so uh, now you want, you've got this, like you've decentralized your on-chain funds, but you haven't decentralized the lightning node, which is like fully like custodial in one location and uh, can easily be rug bulled by an, a physical attacker who managed to get, you know, into the server. And so, yeah, it is, a, it's actually a real problem that someone has right now. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to our solution we come up with here. So my, my personal preference on this thing is just to um, use more, uh, more textbook cryptography uh, with this Musig and Frost nesting idea and just use multi-party computation, uh, interactive multi-party computation to, to do the Frost bit. Um, and in other words, don't 
quite use frost, but use uh, use multi-party computation where you split up the key and split up the nonces as well, and compute the compute the 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 result of the signature the result of the music signature as if it was computed by one computer but split among several computers. That's uh, that's something yeah. I I personally have questions and still don't have good answers. Uh, is uh, What's going to be the best way for sharing like a batch of nonces? So it's about one is like it has to be a, a secure way of sharing those nonces. Uh, and, you know, there's a good chance that you cannot convene offline in a single location to do that as well. Uh, say, for example, you have two company servers, they're different countries. Uh, you know, maybe you have a guy traveling with a CD. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what, what do you guys think? Would be like a you know some paths we could take to to do that that initial nonce batch sharing and also not reusing those nonces. Well, the thing is, um, you're still going to have to collect a partial signature from the signers. So, adding a nonce round, you know, isn't necessarily that big of a deal. Like you, there's some interaction that's already taking place to retrieve data from the signer. And you can potentially, you know, just repeat that to, to do the nonce. I mean, you either, which then you don't have to worry about pre-generation and are you using the right nonces or are you using the wrong ones. Um, and of course, the alternative to that is to, to pre-generate the nonces and then you just need to have a secure way to figure out which ones have already been used. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily as impractical as it might seem to just add another round to, to get that nonce um, for the signature. Um, yeah, I guess like the, there's like two two sort of like separate use cases here that are very clear. One is you know you have servers online, and the interactivity between them is is a is a fairly simple uh, to to make it happen in many rounds. I guess the the other case scenario is where I'm thinking in terms of like bunker coin, right? Like you know, code card, I have it in, say, like a safe in in some country, and then I have another one in another place, and none of them are online, uh, and I'm using SneakerNet. That's when having a, a, pre, a pre-made batch of nonces would come into play, because, like, you don't you don't have the luxury of doing another round of interactivity, because that's another flight. How do you guys think about that scenario? Yes, that is, um, I mean, that's what we think about a lot, because we're working on uh, a hardware device called the Frost Snap. Currently, Frost Snap. I saw that. It's a very cool one. Out, like, uh... <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a fun little project at the moment in the kind of proof of concept stage. And what what we do here at the moment, we're not doing anything too special. But yeah, we do the batch at the same time as key generation. So so this sneaking that thing. One, I guess one uh drawback that's very difficult to get around i don't think is a deal breaker is that you have to when you're generating the key the devices have to be online together or at least they need to do two rounds of communication um at least uh to to get the key to, to generate the actual key and so at that point we generate the nonces at the same time and then we replenish the nonces every time you do a signature. So every time you do a signature, you're also back putting on a, a, however many nonces you consumed during that signature back to a central coordinator. So the coordinator who's the, the device that sort of initiates the signing has like this, these 
list of nonces for all the other devices. Uh, and that's how we manage that problem. Yeah, I, I was thinking in terms of that, like you have a central coordinator that keeps track of the nonces so nothing gets reused. But the other lags, right, the other signers, uh, they they only essentially have one round uh, of interactivity, right? Just It's just one time sign. Uh, um, and uh, and you never have to see them again for for a few more years. I don't know. It's it's an interesting problem, but it it really improves uh, security a lot. Uh, having having this a uh, schema like that. So so guys, uh, we are approaching. I kind of lost track here of the time because I had to reboot. So I only see one hour on my thing. But I imagine we're like over an hour and a half, almost two hours. I know some of you might have a, a time to go. So in this sort of like last 20 minutes, of course, we can extend depending on how you guys feel about it. But um, what do you guys, what are, what are you guys sort of like would like to leave here in terms of like uh, de-obscuring such a, a cool project and, and, and sort of like shedding some light on, on what's done, how it's done and what could be done better? You know, I, I love to hear like, like each of you sort of like maybe comment on, on a little bit of that. So why don't I start here? I'll start from the bottom. So Jesse, what, what are you, uh, your thoughts on this? Well, like I said, um, I'm excited for the future of cryptographic tooling with formal verification. I'm interested in how generative AI might make it easier to implement some of this complex tooling or some of the take out some of the tedium that's involved in the proof systems and make it more practical for us to to implement these things. I also want to underscore something that Tim and Jonas mentioned about kind of encouraging people to try to to learn some cryptography or work in SecP. Um, I don't have a, a cryptography PhD. I didn't study it in school. I learned it on the job uh, when I was working at Coinbase. Um, and uh, it's, it's absolutely something that, uh, you know, you can learn a lot from, uh, from online resources and from other people. Um, and it's just so intellectually stimulating. And I think some of the most creative and fun kind of engineering work that's out there. Uh, and uh, definitely being able to work with some, uh, world-class cryptographers like Tim and Jonas who can review the code and, and make sure, you know, you're not committing catastrophic bugs to the code base is, uh, is a really amazing opportunity. So if anyone at all is curious or interested, uh, I would definitely encourage folks to go for it. Um, and, and please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. I'm more than happy to help uh, people get into this or provide some introdu introductory uh, resources to learn how to contribute and uh, learn how to understand these algorithms and these systems and maybe even invent a few new ones along the way. Lloyd, same question. Yeah, sure. Uh, the magic the magic is made. I mean, cryptography seems like magic, I guess, until you until it just seems like hard work when you're working on it. Uh, for my, my advice, like if you want to get into this field, like I would actually buy books, like just go start at basics and do the kind of textbook kind of workflow through them. 
and use you know, use uh, I recommend using the Rust programming language and just sort of working through examples and learning how to think about it, which is more important than the the actual day to day engineering. At least for me, I'm more enjoy like thinking about things than the uh, the the implementation bit then but then you know once you've got an idea and you want to see something work it comes easy and you can uh, once you've got the background and the skills it comes a lot of fun to go and implement those uh those new schemes that you read about in these papers that are published on uh published on the internet and so that's that's uh that's my life i recommend it for you if um if it suits you and if you love Bitcoin, because there's a lot of uh, a lot of fun to be had, I guess, in Bitcoin. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's great. Uh, Jonas. Yes. So uh, Lloyd outlined one way to get into this field. Another way would be, I think, to try and use this software, for example, by trying to build a frost wallet or something like that. And then just see what you don't like about it and try to fix it and this could be in many different areas of of these libraries from uh from the build system to documentation and and other things and um also don't be afraid to reach out um we have a, an irc channel for libsacp that can be used for questions uh you can also email me directly my twitter dms are open we have uh, github discussions on LibSecP. So um, there are many ways to reach out in case you really want to contribute. And um, as for things I'm excited about, I think we've talked for years already about Frost. So I'd be, I really like to uh, make progress on this and um, <coughs> review Lloyd's, uh, Jesse's PR, try to work together for a specification and finally get this into the hands of users because after all, this will uh, improve privacy, hopefully, of the users, which I think is uh, of uh, great importance in, in Bitcoin. And um, the other part I'm excited about, um, which is not that much in the Bitcoin field right now, but uh, we're also working on the zero knowledge proofs, the bulletproofs plus plus scheme in particular in LibSec PZKP. And this is also something that we would really like to make progress on for range proofs, but also for general zero knowledge proofs, arithmetic circuits, um, etc. A bit far out still, but uh, I think that's going to be really interesting in the future. Neat. Uh, Tim. Yeah, so um, I first of all, I agree with everything uh, that has been uh, said so far. And, and uh, yet another great tip for not maybe reaching out to, to us directly, but for asking questions really is uh, Bitcoin Stack Exchange or cryptography um, Stack Exchange. Uh, you really get very high quality um, answers there to to all kinds of of questions and, and often also in a in a uh, timely manner. So this is really one possible uh, place to go when when you're learning and you feel stuck and and uh, have a question. And um, yeah, what I'm excited about um, also of course Frost because yeah it's it's as uh, Jonas said we're uh, looking into this for multiple years now and happy to uh, start working on this again or we actually we, we have started a, 
uh, two weeks ago to to spend a little little bit more time on that now. Um, but I'm also very excited to uh, to see uh, the PR of uh, music to to uh, LipSec P what we mentioned earlier because it's basically uh, the same as as with Frost just we are in a different stage so um, we worked on we we worked forever on the paper we worked on the specification put a lot of time into the specification put a lot of time into the implementation and LipSec P uh, CKP and and um, yeah, to see this now used in practice is is just uh, very 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 motivating. And the, the final step for me would be to move this to um, LipSec P um, proper. Yeah, and um, this would also be a nice uh, conclusion of that work. Of course, then people will hopefully continue to use it. But uh, I, at <laughs> least I hope that the work on our side is. Uh, <laughs> done then <laughs> for that project very nice uh rindell uh i guess it's the same questions but you know from from the vendor side well i, I was gonna say um just hitting on something that other people have said um in addition to the, the libsec p there's also lloyd uh maintains a really excellent rust library called um sec p 256k fun which is, um, you know, for, for doing fun things and, uh, like, you know, all, all of Bitcoin programming is fun, but there's, um, some kind of more bleeding edge features. So, uh, it's had frost for a little while. I think Nick Farrow wrote that implementation. It has, um, music, uh, signature adapters in there. Um, so if, if you want to like play with this stuff while it's, uh, getting reviewed and getting kind of, ironed out for um the the implementation that's going to get rolled into core um you know it's it's a really great library to like play with more cutting edge features and and things that are more experimental um if you want to do like coin swaps using signature adapters or if you want to um build a uh noster you know shitpost dao using frost or something um it's a it's a really great library to pick up and play with and like have fun with. So I, I don't know. And then on the vendor side, um, yeah, the, the point that was raised earlier about, it would be great if more vendors reached out to either of these libraries and just let them know what they're doing to maybe collaborate on like interfaces or, um, you know, pain points, whatever, like it, it might be that, you know, everybody who's building FFI bindings, need um you know maybe everybody like needs some common abstraction out of libsec and that would be just really great feedback for the folks working on the project neat i i second everything you guys said um so guys like with this pod i'm trying something like kind of like weird and different which is so we have a a fairly like say half very technical audience and a lot of people who sort of like uh, are Bitcoin technically curious. So we kind of go back and forth between the nitty gritty and the low level and sometimes with the math, uh, but it's sort of like kind of go back to high level a lot. So it's like this sort of like very schizophrenic sort of back and forth uh, conversations, which is like, it seems to, to sort of like give context and clarify and sort of inform people about uh, some of the, the, the you know, the, the things that like 
make up the the solutions that they use or some of the code that they pull, some of the libraries they use. Um, what do you guys think uh, we we lack getting the word out to people who like you know are building vendor clients who are working on things you know the makers not the talkers um like what what do you use i don't know if you guys listen to pods but uh like what do you wish got more out there in terms of like uh uh, uh information about projects and and uh, some of that stuff that is not as sexy as macro, <laughs> none of that crap, essentially. Like, what what can we get out more uh, uh, that you guys think it's it's missing out there? Um, like, is this in terms of like in general feelings and thoughts we wish Bitcoiners understood more, or is this like a, in particular like software? projects that you want to advertise i think both we, we think we could have that i think i think both because you know in a way or another i mean like you know the code is what makes bitcoin you know happen so like projects affect bitcoin economically as well uh, you know I, I prefer to approach this from from the makers side right from the people who actually mm-hmm. write the code and it's it's often not clear uh what what would be interesting for people or beneficial to the industry to get out. And and I'm sort of like trying to do this. For example, we did a Frost episode. We did a, uh, a Segwit episode. And, and those seem to really hit uh, well, like in terms of like uh, people felt like they, they've learned this thing. And it's not just some like acronym that people are using around. And, uh, and, and it was beneficial to businesses to also learn about the fact that there is these new things they could use. Uh, there's a lot of devs out there that, like, you know, they're, they are working more on the business logic level, so they don't, like, fully understand how much is happening in this. So just, like, exposing some of the stuff that's happening on the underground of Bitcoin to them sort of seems beneficial. Right, well, the only thing I can come up with there on for me is that, you know, uh, Bitcoin engineering is very hard, I, I find, and where it's it, it's pretty da- it gets pretty damn complicated. Yes. And so, what I would just encourage people to do, and when they're looking at software projects and looking at projects to invest in, invest their time in, their money in, going forward, is like how can you in in use and the tools you're using is like how can you make this whole ecosystem and experience simpler. And not like more complicated than it already is, because I feel like some there are some projects that are going and trying to make this whole Bitcoin system like exciting and cool, that maybe more quite a bit more complex. And there are some that are just like trying to get to the roots of it and are really pushing to just simplify the shit out of everything so that people can have like easy user experience and stuff. So I'm try and do the latter, try and focus on tools that do the latter. I can give a shout out to the Bitcoin dev kit, which is something that I contribute to and work on. It's like a Rust library for doing Bitcoin. It's going through a massive overhaul right now uh, to try and really radically simplify the whole architecture. There's the, the Lightning dev kit as well, like. Uh, that is trying to do, uh, has a very similar goal for Lightning, have composable tools that let make you uh, use, allow you to use light, 
implement the Lightning protocol in your stack, uh, giving a simpler a simpler experience for your users because it's not um, you're not having to run some extra node. It's like integrated into the app, and they're trying to really make it easy for developers to do that. So like, look out for those projects. Look out for those people who are trying to make things simpler. That's the only thing I would like to get out. Um, Rindell's got a drop. So Rindell, any final thoughts? Uh, no, just plus one to everything Lloyd said. And then, um, I, I don't know, like the other maybe high level takeaway, if, if you're not really into this and you're just like listening to the pod is that, um, like Libsec, uh, Libsec CKP and, uh, the, the fun variant are all like very alive projects, right? Like we talked about, um, you know, finding new ways to to do like GCD or to take a square root or something like things are getting faster, safer all the time. And then also, you know, Taproot adding Schnorr signatures gave us a lot of capability in terms of being able to do like interesting signature aggregation and, um, you know, having reference implementations or like really high quality implementations of things like Frost or Music or adapter signatures means that those capabilities become more accessible to more developers. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll hopefully see more applications leveraging those new capabilities as, as they get kind of upstreamed into the, into the common libraries. Yeah. I, I second that. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I see like our job is like, you know, making a harder wallet and, and like doing all the business logic and all the harder work to make it secure. But I, I do not in, want in any way to <laughs> touch or write crypto primitives uh, my, ourselves. So, you know, ha- the more stuff that is that has demand that is on Libsac, uh, uh, the more likelihood we have to expose that to the customers, right? Uh, and and we would never expose anything that is not on main uh, on on main libsec. Uh, we don't integrate zk because you know it's just zkp because it's just you know we have to build the bindings and everything else. So um, and we don't know what's going to have demand. It's it's tricky as a vendor to to know you know how far you go there. Tim and Jonas, uh, are there any other topics that uh, I should? Uh, bring up and like maybe have like you know uh, two three people who who like you know are the experts on it and and should come on uh, to to talk about that maybe the market the industry is not sort of aware of uh, or that you know just out of fun you know devs out there should know about nothing that comes to my mind right now but I just want to to second what you what you said I think we can also. Um... In, in LipSecP, but also in other projects, we can improve on the on the basic things. We often work on the on the fancy, interesting uh, ideas because they're cool and and fascinating. But there is also more we can do on the on the simple things and just get more uh, reliable, uh, good implementations out there to to people to uh, empower them to build applications on top of that. And uh, yeah, I would like to do and see more of that. Go ahead, Jonas. Yep, so Vivek mentioned cross-input integra- cross signature aggregation. I think if you haven't covered that yet, that would be certainly an interesting topic, but uh, it's a little bit different. All right, that's a date. We're going to do it. Because then we need to talk about consensus changes uh, potentially, whereas here we, we had the luxury of only talking about signatures and off-chain things. 
Okay. Uh, we're going to talk more like, you know, and, and you guys now have my contact, like, you know, feel free to, to, to bring up topics and things and, and we're going to put the effort on making it happen. That's the sole purpose of this pod is to make Bitcoin win. Uh, and uh, and not talk about macros. So <laughs> the more interesting shit that's happening on the dev side and uh, on the consensus side and and things that like I think that really matter uh, that 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 could be sort of like talked and exposed to people. I think like the better it is. Listen, guys, uh, I am uh, extremely extremely thankful that you guys work on this project. Uh, you know, I know for a fact that like you know hundreds of thousands of people out there are more secure uh through our devices uh because of this library uh i i i know that like a lot of the market does use this library and more will be using this library uh this is uh it's a uh, mission true mission critical stuff yeah, you know i i don't think we could be moving forward with Bitcoin being worth even more without something like this. So, I mean, my, my gratefulness towards this library is bigger than you think. So thank you for working on it. And, uh, and thank you for wasting two hours of your time uh, talking about it <laughs> on, uh, on this pod. Uh, hopefully we did manage to put everybody to sleep. And, uh, and for the two people who are left uh, still listening, uh, thank you for listening. So, so with that, uh, I think it's time to close this up. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more resources, check the show notes. We put a lot of effort into them. And remember, we don't have a crystal ball. So let us know about your project. Visit Bitcoin.review to find out how to get in touch. Mm -hmm.